Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, our ministry staff will gather for our weekly meeting. And um, after we spend a little time in the Word with a devotional, we're going to ask a question. It's the same question that we ask every week. In fact, it's the same question that we're asking all of our co-missions throughout the life of the church, local outreach, missions, students, youth, worship, finance, building and grounds, all of our co-missions. We're asking them to ask the same question that we ask every Monday morning at 9 o'clock as a ministry team, and it's this question. How have you seen God at work transforming lives this past week? It's a good question, isn't it? How have you seen God at work transforming lives each week? Because the questions you ask define the things that you're seeking to have happen, and we are seeking, praying, expectantly looking for God to be at work transforming lives. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's one of my favorite times of the week because one after one, our ministry team will speak up and they'll say, well, you know what? I saw God at work this last week. And oftentimes it's in like these most cool, unusual little ways. I saw a family. I was out parking cars and I I saw a family come up and there was a parking. I'm not saying you have to do this, but just as an example, I saw a parking spot right up at the front and I pointed them to it and they came up and they looked at it and they drove off and parked two blocks away. And they walked up and I said, well, why didn't you take the spot? And they said, you know what, in that moment, we just believed that God would rather have someone else have that spot. God at work, right? God at work in our hearts. The Lord moving, and that's just one tiny little example from a month ago, but it's God at work transforming our lives, which looks like us being spiritually alive, relationally connected. We're going to really look at that in a closer way in the next uh, few weeks, relational connection, missionally engaged. But I'm going to ask this question, where does the power come from to be spiritually alive? And I'm going to frame that question in this way. I'm going to put that question in light of, here you go, addictions. What are you addicted to? I'm going to ask you this. How, how's it going in terms of you drumming up whatever power you need out of your own will and your own grit and your own resolution and your own, I'm going to do this right this time. How many times have you said that? Okay, I heard that chuckle. It's true. Where does the power come from for us to truly be spiritually alive? I'm going to tell you right now, the world, so much of the world outside of who we are in Christ get this question dead wrong. And it's one of Satan's greatest lies. You can do it. You don't need God. In fact, the harder you work, The more you do, the more you just bear down and grit, the more you're going to draw strength from yourself, the more you're going to overcome and earn your way to God. 
Wrong. Doesn't work that way. Where does the power come from? I use this benediction at the end of a lot of our services. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even can imagine. That's the question. How have we seen God at work transforming lives? According to His power that is at work within us. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Church, Christianity is not all about what we're not supposed to do and all these rules and judgments and this and that. Oh my goodness, no. Christianity is about life. It is about God granting us the power to to do what we cannot do ourselves. It is about the grace of Jesus shed on the cross that His blood gives us the strength to be forgiven, cleansed, washed, empowered according to His power that is at work within us. I love the way that the message translates this verse. God can do anything. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. When we say yes to God, when we confess our sin and repent and turn to God, we are sealed in that moment with the gift of God's Holy Spirit. His Spirit deeply and gently within us. You know, to ask this question, what does that look like? You know, the Bible gives us several images or metaphors or symbols, since we're unable to see actually the work of the Spirit with our eyes, we see the evidence of it. How have you seen God at work transforming lives lately? We see all sorts of evidence of it. But God has given us various symbols that represent His Spirit. Let me show you a few that you go, oh yeah, okay. One is in Matthew 3 when Jesus was being baptized. The Holy Spirit literally came upon Jesus. As soon as He was baptized, it says He came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. So we have this physical manifestation literally of the Spirit like a dove coming down and resting upon Jesus. Or how about a mighty wind that blows. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I think I've told you one of my favorite songs by Keith Green, uh, a Christian artist back in the 70s, early 80s. He sang a song simply called Rushing Wind Blow Through This Temple. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, rush into my heart. And, 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 and the Bible describes the work of the Spirit in this imagery of a rushing wind. Or how about a mighty river? Let anyone, John 7, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. You thirsty? You thirsty? Come to Jesus and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now we're talking. Now we're talking about power. 
to overcome addiction, to live a joy-filled life that isn't filled with striving. Now we're talking about love and life and joy and peace and patience and zoe, spiritual life, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. It's the work of the Spirit. There's another metaphor or image that the Bible gives, and it's it's the picture of oil. In fact, this image of oil, we see it back in in, in many of the prophets or the kings. We see that in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel, the prophet, took the horn of oil. That's that's simply a, a pitcher, a container. He took with him this horn of oil, and he anointed David in the presence of his brothers, And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. This oil was a physical representation of the the Spirit literally being poured not just over David, but poured into his very soul, into his very heart. And we see this, church, for us. Now we're moving from a a really cool Old Testament understanding to a now, every day, you and me, the choices we make and the opportunities we have. James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, tell us this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Are you happy? Sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church To pray over them and what? Anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith. We're told we'll make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. This is the same imagery that we have throughout the Old Testament of the the work of the Holy Spirit being poured not just over us, but into us. That we experience the work of the Holy Spirit refreshing us, healing us, forgiving us, cleansing us. Church, that is what is our birthright as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And this is the imagery that we have, this imagery of this oil. The oil simply represents the work of God's Spirit in our lives. We can't see the Spirit, but we can see the evidence of the Spirit. And much like a dove or rushing wind or a mighty river or oil, the Spirit comes and and works in our hearts. As I said and as Nathan said, at the close of this service, here just in a minute or two, a few minutes, you're going to have the opportunity here in Baker and over in the sanctuary to respond, to say, yes, Lord, yes. You are calling me and I know it and I need you. God, I'm desperate. And I need the touch of your spirit. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. We're going to have the opportunity to to take advantage of this invitation that God is giving to all of us. Before we do, I simply want to bring out one phrase that is in those verses. And it's this phrase, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. We're told in John 14... Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works, the works that I have been doing. Wow, what a promise. 
And they will do even greater things than these, more than we can ask or even imagine. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask, for, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That is a critical, critical phrase in understanding how God is at work in our lives. In his book, uh, The Upper Room, uh, Pastor John MacArthur said this, and I appreciate these words as he explains what this means. Jesus' disciples had left everything, right? They left their nets, they left their work world, they left their tax collecting booths, they left, uh, in many cases, we see they left their families in terms of, we don't know all the interaction they had, but it says they dropped their nets and followed Jesus, and we're completely without resources. And now this notion of Jesus returning to heaven, now without their master, they would be all alone, I've never thought about it this way, all alone in a hostile world. Yet Jesus here is assuring them that they don't need to worry about any of their needs. The gap between him and them would be closed instantly when they prayed. Wow, that's cool. The gap between a mighty, resourceful God and a needy humanity is, is met immediately. It's closed immediately whenever we pray. Even though he would be absent, they would have access to all of his resources. Now, this is not carte blanche for every whim of the flesh. There's a qualifying statement repeated twice, right? He doesn't say, I'll give you absolutely anything you ask for, but rather, I'll do what you ask for in my name. That doesn't mean we can simply tack the words, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right? We run that together in one nice little word, right? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We can't just tack those words on at the end of our prayer and expect answers when we want, that we want every time. Neither is it a special formula or abracadabra, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, that will magically guarantee the granting of every wish. The name of Jesus stands for all that He is. Therefore, praying in the name of Jesus is more than merely mentioning His name at the end of our prayers. If we are truly praying in Jesus' name, we will pray only for that which is consistent with His perfect character, for that which will bring glory to Him. It implies an acknowledgement of all that He has done and a submission to His will. When we pray, in, what, a, what praying in Jesus' name really means is that we should pray as if Jesus Himself were doing the asking. We approach the throne of the Father in full identification with the Son. In Jesus' name, I am coming before you, Father, seeking only what He would seek. When we pray with that perspective, we begin to pray for the things that really matter. We eliminate Selfish requests. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. This is how Jesus himself prayed. 
So as we pray in the name of Jesus, it is as if Jesus is making the request through us. We are praying in His name and we pray according then to the will of the Father, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray in the name of Jesus, I am submitting myself by faith to the Father's perfect will. Church, that's why just in Jesus' name we pray amen isn't a guarantee that we'll always get what we want. But when we pray in the name of Christ, we are literally closing the gap between God's great resource and our desperate need. And we are coming, and when we pray by faith, when we pray by faith according to His will, God moves, God transforms. How many of you seen the movie The Princess Bride? Anyone seen that movie, The Princess Bride? A handful. This was a go-to movie all my years in youth ministry, right? You have an all-nighter, you know, you've got to be real careful with the movies you pick. You know, it ends up being Shrek or, you know, um, even that's a little edgy for some... But, uh, but The Princess Bride was always a go-to Mellage, mellage is what wings it. No, so, so great lines, but I, there's, there's this, at the beginning of the movie, you have uh, Wesley and Buttercup. You can pick which one's which. Wesley and Buttercup. And, uh, and so you've got Grandfather uh, kind of narrating the movie, and uh, Farm Boy, Buttercup would say, Farm Boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. Wesley would say, as you wish. Grandpa then says, as you wish was all he ever said to her. Buttercup, Farm Boy, fill these water bottles, please. Wesley, as you wish. Grandpa, that day she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he really meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized that she truly loved him back. Buttercup, Farm Boy, fetch me that pitcher. Wesley, as you wish, I love you. So when we say the words... In Jesus' name, what we're really saying is, God, I trust you. Really, in essence, we are saying, as you wish. God, as you wish, I trust you. We're really saying, God, I believe that you are able and I know that you're good. We read again in James 5, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. God, I need you. God, I ask you. God, I trust you. That's what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. And we're told there further in the passage, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Church, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord is one of the ministries taught in the New Testament. Anointing is joined with prayer for healing and for wholeness. We anoint with oil as a symbol of the presence and the power of God. Anyone who is sick in body, mind, or spirit, who has faith in Christ, may come for anointing. Those who desire anointing 
for spiritual blessing, for physical restoration, for relational healing, through the power of Christ, are welcome. Our anointing teams are ready to minister to you. In fact, I want to invite them to come both in the sanctuary and here in the Baker Center to come and to get into place right now. We're going to have six teams, six teams, pairs, for you to come and, and be anointed. We have a few uh, we have an all, a, a woman, a team of a couple of women, a team of a couple of men. Maybe you'd be more comfortable in that regard, but I want you to know that they're in place. When you come forward, please share your name along with why you desire to be anointed. You'll be asked if there is any sin you would like to confess that's hindering you from receiving God's blessing. Then you'll be anointed and prayed over in the name of the Lord. To those of God's people who are suffering or sick. We've seen here in James 5 that we're to call for the elders of the church. Have them pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will heal. The Lord will forgive and make well. When you come forward, what you're doing is admitting your need. Admitting your helplessness. Believing that the Lord is the one who can make you whole. You're saying, God, I need you. God, I ask. And God, I trust you. Your need can be physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, whatever the need. His grace is sufficient for His power, we're told in the Bible, is made perfect. That gap gets, gets met immediately in our weakness. So let the desperate... The dependent, the despondent come. Jesus is here, we pray. Jesus, we come before you right now. And we ask for your touch, for your blessing. We ask for your spirit to be at work, meeting our needs. Jesus, you have not left us alone in this hostile world. But you said, it's better that I go, for I will send my spirit to you. And my spirit will comfort you, will guide you, will lead you into all righteousness. My spirit will be present within you, healing you, touching you, filling you like a mighty river. My spirit will come like a rushing wind, blowing out all the impurities, filling you with a fresh wind, with fresh fire. Lord Jesus, your spirit also comes like a fire, coming into our desperate hearts to fill us with your power with your word, with hope, with help, with power that doesn't come from us, but comes from above. Jesus, we now humble ourselves and we come asking for you to transform, to meet us in our place of greatest need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.